All right. Great to be with y'all this morning. What's cool about being together on a Sunday morning is lots has happened in the last seven days. And being a part of this family, this spiritual family, lots of spiritual activities happen. The groups have been meeting all week. We just finished the series we call Born This Way, where we dealt with sexuality. Some folks have been talking about something that significant in their groups and connected it back to the scriptures and have had to deal with that in community. Always excited about what happens in group. Thank you, thank you to all the group leaders that have been making that happen. This week, we had the first ever young widows gathering in this room, and I heard that it, it was terrific in a variety of ways, but perhaps the most exciting way to me is that it has this spiritual quality where some, some folks that have lost their spouse rallied around each other because of that loss, but there's a spiritual quality to it because of their connection to the Savior as well. I got to sit out on uh, the, the table right outside. When you walk out of the auditorium, there's a bunch of tables. I got to sit with a guy that's become a friend that six months ago was a totally different person who has uh, decided to believe in Jesus. He's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. We're going to baptize him right here next Sunday. And like, man, it don't get any better than this. It was just crazy to hear his words continue to become more and more conformed to be like Jesus. So I can't, I can't wait to see him be baptized next week. We get to do that regularly here, and we're thankful that the Lord's changing lives. And then Saturday morning, yesterday, my phone was buzzing at 4.30 a.m. Um, when my phone buzzes at that time, it's rarely good. And I got the news that um, one of our 19-year-old students from Radius Centerville was killed instantly when struck by a car. Um, Hudson lost his life. Um, just that quickly. So uh, we began to grieve with the family. I don't know if you know Chad and Michelle Shira. This is their, uh, they have two children. This is their boy. They got, got a daughter and man. I walked out of their house. It doesn't get much worse than that. Right, it went from <laughs> amazing sitting out here to Terrible, awful, watching them grieve. And yet there's this like sliver of hope in that home as followers of Jesus rally around them in friendship, but there's just something more to the friendship. There's a depth that's there because there's something more to the friendship. There's this connection to the living God that brings hope in a way nothing else can. We've got great folks in our community, they rally around each other with something. I love the way the firemen in our community and other communities, they'll take care of one another when something, there's this, there's this deep relationships to folks, folks that have been through something, but for us, the body of Christ, there's this spiritual thread that flows through that's different. It's got this, this quality that you can't reproduce outside of the Holy Spirit. And then yesterday uh, afternoon, I got to sit, got invited to a little party. It was for the Simmons. I don't know if you know Jerry Me Simmons. He's on our staff here. He's, we're sending him to uh, lead a church in Charleston. And so his, his closest friends rallied up, and they wanted to celebrate the Simmons and the Simmons family. And there was this little party. And I, I just got to tell you, there's something beautiful there. This is a couple that was here for just three years, and yet they developed these relationships. It has this spiritual thread through it that's connected those families, that gives it this depth that's kind of hard to explain to the point where families are really sad that they're leaving, but they have this excitement that they're on the mission, on a mission for the living God to go to Charleston. So they're willing to send them despite their loss. 
That's a different group of people. I'm happy to be a part of this different group of people. I'm happy to do life with you. We are a family. We're a family at the deepest level, at the spiritual level. And this morning, I want to talk for the time that I have about being born into this family. If you've believed in Jesus, you've been born into, not the Radius family, into his family. And we're related. Let's, let's pray to him. My heart's heavy, Lord. I don't even know if I really know how to grieve well. But I want to I wanna grieve with Chad, Michelle, the whole Shira family, Lord. I, I want to grieve with them. It was an honor to get to see other parts of this family, of the believing family, rally to them, and love on them with hugs and, and some just real brief conversations and others uh, sat there all day and were sat quietly, sat in the pain with them. Thank you. Thank you for this family. Grieve with Radius Centerville this morning as we sit here across town. We hurt for them as a body. I know that there's a lot of tears as they gather this morning. I pray even as my brother Ryan preaches, and he, I know we talked last night, Lord. He just really wants to do this right. Holy Spirit, dominate that room. I know Hudson's got a bunch of friends there that don't know you. Pray that they believe. There's lots of folks there just grieving, Lord, and you, Jesus, were the best at meeting people in grief. You know how to grieve with them. You also could bring solutions. You brought life into the darkest moments. And that's what we want for the shearers. That's what we want for the folks in their close radius that really love them and are, are, are really suffering right now. And the, for those of us that are a little distance back, show us what to do. Show us how to uh, love them, love one another when things are hard. Thank you for your word right now, Lord. Thank you for its power. Pray that you would uh, speak through it again as you have done so many times here in Jesus' name. Amen. So we spent uh, six Sundays on Born This Way. Um, Really talks on sexuality, so if you've been gone for six weeks, we, I, I see what you're doing. You're back now. All right, glad, glad to have you back. We're done with that. Today, we thought the best way to wrap that up would be to uh, kind of hinge that series to next week where we do a baptism and talk about we were born this way. We said, one, we were made in the image of God, so Adam and Eve, right, they were made in the image of God, and every human being since was born this way. They were born made in the image of God. Then if you know, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, and Romans actually tells us that their sin was passed on to us, and so every one of us in the room, we were born this way. We were born into sin. So both we were made in the image of God, and we were born into sin. Everybody in the room has that in common. And uh, then we have this crazy phrase that Christians throw around, sometimes too loosely, that we could potentially be born 
again, despite being born this way. Jesus has this amazing conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Sometimes we're a little hard on Nicodemus, but uh, I thought I'd read it to you, and we would just think about it and talk about it for our time together and trust that the Lord will take his scripture and speak to us. This is John chapter 3, very famous passage of the Bible. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, or teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are, here it is, born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So really interesting because in our world, when you hear born again Christian, what pops into your mind? You got a picture? Got a picture of who it is? Like for some of us, like that's a fairly negative picture, even though we would claim to be born again ourselves. Like the world certainly portrays the born again Christian, like for one, a picture that might pop into the average secular person as they consider the church, but certainly the born again Christians, they would think that they're like the overly emotional like, nothing wrong with being emotional, but kind of out of control emotional. Like, out of control emotional, like you got eight credit cards and they're all to the max. Like, I'm out of control. Every time I see something, I got to do it. No offense, right? Like, I've had a bad credit card at some point. But, like, like that's the picture that they have that, that born-again folks are the folks that need something. They're trying to solve this emotional urge, and they, they just jump at stuff. They're out of control. They're rash in their decisions. Other folks, when we think born again, we're like, man, they're born again because they're really messed up, right? Like, like they've got to have some sort of addiction or something way off the, tra- off the tracks, and so they need to be fixed, so they need to be born again. And, you know, like, that's kind of how the born again Christians are portrayed, certainly in our world. And some of us are those people, right? Like, we know the addiction thing. We're like, yeah, the Lord grabbed me there, and uh, others of us are not. You can't help but uh, flip on any news outlet, and the born-again Christians are often seen as the conservative ones that can't listen. Sadly, we live in a day where it seems like the left or the right, neither one of them can listen. They like to talk and like to hear themselves talk. That's about all that happens. I wish somebody could listen and they could somebody have a conversation. I don't know about you, but the born-again Christians, they would put on the right politically, and they'd say they can't listen. They can't hear. That would be the perception that's out there. That's what's so amazing about this story. Jesus speaks to this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes by night or in the dark, and he gets a little bit of a bad rap for that. But but he is an impressive figure. He's a Jewish male. He's a religious leader. He's a part of the Sanhedrin. He would be anything but emotional. Matter of fact, he'd probably be the opposite of rash. He had wealth. He, had, he was a ruler. He would have been some, a, a guy that we look around in this room, we're like, that dude's put together. He probably thinks through every decision he makes. Man, being a Pharisee, he would have been of the highest moral standard. So, I mean, you would look around the room. You can do it right now if you want. Look around, look who looks like the highest moral st- Oh, we don't have any of them here. Anyway, like he'd be like the cleanest dude in the room. Everybody looked at him like he's got it together, not only fiscally and the way things go on this side. Like he, he literally is moral. He doesn't do anything wrong. That's what Nicodemus looks like. Yeah, he was a part of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees yet certainly were self-righteous in every way. But this guy, 
this guy actually comes to Jesus by night. I, keep, I love the way the text reads, after dark and evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Like, he came at night, but, but there's some other people that knew, evidently, and he came all on his own. And when he came, he said this, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence, evidence that God is with you. So one, we all know. Did you catch that little line? Like there's some other dudes that know, but they didn't come. So Nicodemus came at night, but he came. But he recognizes that Jesus has something, and he, he's willing to listen. He's willing to listen to what Jesus says, even though Jesus has no pedigree, no Ph.D., no education. He's not connected to some famous rabbi back in the day. He recognizes that there's life in Jesus, and so he comes and asks a question. This is a really great way to learn is ask questions. It takes courage to ask questions. Students in the room, usually the smartest kid in the room, ask questions because he's willing to put himself out there, her out, herself out there because they want to learn. Part of what groups are all about here, be able to process with one another. And Jesus replies to this guy who has it all put together. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Tim Keller's got a great quote on this passage. I thought it was, I'll read it to you. Being born again cannot mean you need to be, need morality or religion in your life. In fact, the way, to Je the way to Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, the new birth is a challenge to morality and religion. He's saying you've got all the morality and religion in the world, Nicodemus, and you need to be born again. You got it all together, and you still need to be born again. So, so who's Jesus telling uh, us as he speaks to Nicodemus needs to be born again? Who is this for, this born again thing? For everybody. It's for anybody. So if, if you're a little out of control and your life's off the grid, it's for you. If you've got your life completely in control, it's for you. He's saying it's for everybody, and it's for anybody. Nobody's excluded. It's a, a moment where for Nicodemus, who is so good, Look around the room. You, you probably know somebody in this room. He's just so good. And Jesus says to him, it doesn't count. All the good that you've done, all the discipline, all the bad that you haven't done doesn't count. You need to be born again. Nicodemus comes up with this, like, resume that would blow you away with his life and what he's accomplished and what he's done. And, and Jesus just looks at him, looks him in the eye. And I, I don't know if you can imagine this, but looking Jesus in the eye must have been crazy. No sin. Look in a man's eye who's never sinned, that doesn't have one sinful thought in it. it like, it probably looked right through you. And he looks at Nicodemus and goes, like, like, that doesn't really count. I need you to be born again in order to see the, scene of the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, he states it more directly, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So he'd say that to, to us this morning. I love me some Nicodemus because verse 4, Nicodemus is like, let me ask a follow-up question because that makes no sense. Like, could you give me some clarity? Nicodemus in verse 4 says, what do you mean 
exclaimed Nicodemus, and how can an old man get back into his mother's womb and be born again? All right, this is a dude with his PhD, and this born again thing is throwing him for a loop. So welcome to, to the crowd. Like, you're like, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? I love that he asked what and how. Give me a description, and Jesus answers. As he always does, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, you can't tell where it comes or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. I don't know if you're like Nicodemus, you're like, well, that was really helpful, Jesus. I understand it completely. <laughs> like, you must be born again. And Jesus gives this crazy answer, and he starts it with, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. What in the world does that mean, Jesus? Well, the theologians get really excited with this stuff. And so they write books and, and, and all sorts of things. I'll give you a few of the possible ideas. Well, the Spirit's pretty clear. You must be born of the Spirit. That's going to become really evident in the future parts of this passage. But what's the water? How are you born of the water? Well, to me, I mean, I'm a little simple-minded. I just like to read the next verse and see what it says. It says, humans came to reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth through spiritual life. I'm like, there it is. So in order to be saved, we have to be born as humans and then born by the Spirit. Not too complicated, right? Like, like, Take it, all of y'all was born as humans. There's a couple exceptions in the room as I look around, but the rest of y'all born as humans, and then you have to be born of the Spirit. I would read it like that. There's other, some other really smart guys that have some other views. One would say that the water represents the Word, that you hear the Word and you respond to the Word, and then you, the Spirit saves you. I mean, that makes sense according to the rest of Scripture. One of the views is that you have to be water baptized. So when it says water, you have to be dunked into water to be saved. I have a really hard time lining that up even with the rest of this chapter. In verse 16, he's actually going to say that, that you're saved only by faith in Jesus because he, he loved you. Like, there's no connection to the water. You can go to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Like, we're saved by grace through our faith, and there's no connection to any physical activity, right? Though we think this is mysterious. When, when folks are going to be baptized next week, it's an exciting time. It's got this mystery to it, but it doesn't save you. And this passage certainly doesn't support that. And then the final view, which I think is really interesting, is that Jesus is pointing back, which I can actually get because it's in, in the same book. He's pointing back to the baptism of John the Baptist. I don't know if you know how that went. John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus, and he was baptizing people in the river, right, in preparation for the answer to come. So he wanted them to recognize their sin. It was a baptism of uh, repentance. He's baptizing them in repentance. And so as they recognized that they were sinners and they had a need, when they saw the answer, Jesus, they would respond because you don't respond to the answer unless you know you have a need. So I really like that. I'd lean to the first one. Everybody's in agreement that in this part of the passage and throughout the Scripture, there's repentance, there's belief, and then there's this implanting of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Theologians love to debate this. I always like to kid them. I like y'all. Y'all talk like, did the chicken or the egg come first? Y'all, y'all are always arguing pre, pre, predestination Calvinism, and I can't even pronounce the ones on the other side, the opposite end. But really, they're debating who chooses. 
but it kind of all happens at the same time. And so we have the, the crazy debates, which actually have quality. I'm not making fun of them completely because if, as you dig into them, it can make you want to worship. As you think about a God who's sovereign, it make you want to worship. As you think about the deep love of God, it makes you want to worship. But the truth is, man, if you want to know what happens when someone's born again, if you're in this room and you're wondering, am I born again? You ought to ask somebody in here that you know looks different and ask them what happens. What's cool is there'll be this consistency. You could ask 100 of them. There'll be this consistency of, of what happened, and then there'll be this inconsistency because the Lord met all of us in different places and times in life, and yet there's this clarity. We came to repentance, and we looked to Jesus, and he transformed us, all of us the same, but, but all of us different in that we had different backgrounds and different places we come from, and, and he chased us all down in our own places. Hey, if you wondering if you're born again, have the courage to ask somebody. Man, the people in this room that I know that know Jesus would love to have that conversation. There's a story told of a vicar in Europe. Uh, it's not a story. It's actually on his gravestone. It has kind of his life story on his gravestone. I, I don't think there'll be that much print on mine. I don't think we can afford a stone that big. But anyway, like he, he starts at the top. You must be born again. He wants people to believe and be born again. And then he kind of goes through his list. 17, 16, born into sin. I love that. <laughs> he was born. He was born into sin. He's getting his theology in right out the gate. Uh, 1730, he acknowledges that he heard the gospel. I love this. He put this on there. He said, I proudly live by faith and works. What a line. So as a teenager, if you're doing the math, he heard the gospel and he began to follow what he thought was the gospel. He lived by faith and works. Fast forward to 40 years old, 1756, he said, I fled to Jesus alone. Jesus broke in on him, and he believed. And he, he finally came to the understanding, all the good that I've done and all the bad that I've done, none of that, all of that needs to be repented of. And he went to Jesus alone, and he asked Jesus to save him, and he was saved. I love the last line. He says, 1793, fell asleep. I'm done. Keller, in writing about this passage, again, he has, he has this interesting comment. He actually said that, uh, man, when you're truly transformed by the Holy Spirit, then you have this humility and boldness. I, I just need to tell you, I, it is so good to have those two things existing at the same time. It, it comes from looking to Jesus. And so, like, all of a sudden, you can, you can both be humble and bold at the same time when before you either humble and not bold or bold but not humble. Let me be straight with you. Some of you that have been a part of a church for a long time, you got this boldness and there's no humility connected to it. And it makes us wonder if the Holy Spirit's inside of you. That confidence doesn't look like it's coming from God. And there's others that are humble and you kind of stay low, but you really never can speak for God. You say it's just a private thing. It makes us wonder if you've really experienced it. Not because we're better, but because we want it for you. Because it's so good to be born again and recognize that only Christ could transform me. I heard it illustrated this week, which really helped me, and hopefully it'll help you. He said, man, before 
being born again. It's kind of like having audio. For some of y'all that are older than me, just for those of y'all who had questions, 1967, if it was on my gravestone, I know I look younger than that, but nonetheless, some of y'all that were around before then, some of y'all, the first thing you ever had was a radio at the house, right? Like I, my dad tells stories about listening to the Lone Ranger on the radio, and he can remember the ads and ordering stuff online. Maybe if you've seen Christmas Story, they're listening to stuff on, on the radio. That's all he had, and he had to picture everything in his mind, so it was just audio, which I would say, man, we were born in the image of God, so we walk this earth with this expectation that we're missing something until we know God. So there's somewhat of understanding, but we're also born into sin, which clouds everything. So it's just like there's this radio, and we're listening to it. When you're born again, somebody had to tell me what the nicest TV that they make these days is, but HD is all I know, right? Like, so 4Q, 12, whatever, it, all that. Like, like, all of a sudden, there's this TV in the room, and it's perfect picture and your eyes are fixed on this screen when all you've ever heard was just that radio and now all of a sudden when you're born again it comes a lot you can what you can see the kingdom of god yay that's good news boy you were listening to lone ranger now lone ranger's on the screen he had to start with black and white my dad had to work his way all the way up to color right through the years but you see lone ranger that's what he looks like oh man that's a cool horse that he's on i've been picturing it in my mind there it is praise god for those of us that know it you know it it changed you i'm so glad to be able to see it brought beauty that i couldn't imagine it it, it brought this excellence Spiritual realities, all of a sudden, they, my eyes open to spiritualities, uh, spiritual realities. My mind and my heart, I don't know if this, this, this had to have happened to you, if you believe, like your mind and your heart, they just began to burn. And the first time you open the Bible, you've been reading the Bible, you've been in church, you've been hearing people do what I'm doing, and all of a sudden, this thing starts to burn. It's so good. You got to give it away, but it brings us humility. I mean, there's a boldness to want to tell somebody else, but the, like you didn't do nothing to get it, so there's nothing to be proud of. Man, we want this town to be able to see because once you've seen, it reorders everything. I mean, we could put ten radios in here and crank them up and put one big screen up here. What's everybody doing? They seeing. They looking at the screen. Like the noise would be frustrating, but eventually it'd just be noise, and eventually you get captured by what you could see as opposed to the noise. So it reorients everything. Once your eyes open up, it reorients everything. That's why the last six weeks we called it holy sexuality, because in the past there's all this noise on sexuality, all this. But then when you see the screen, you have to go, I'm going to submit to that. Whatever he says about sexuality, that's what I'm doing. And I, if that means changing everything. It moves us. It changes us. The passage actually says, I don't know if you remember, you enter the kingdom of God. Your identity is changed. I had six babies in my house. I actually didn't have any. I'm sure I had all of them. Like, they, they, they're mine. <laughs> and when they came into the world, they took on my name. They took on the Reeves identity. They have a few traits of, of both of us. They're, they're ours. They didn't achieve anything when they came out, right? Cheryl did all the work. Please, let's be clear on that. I didn't do any of the work. Cheryl did all the work, and they came out. They didn't, they didn't earn. They, they didn't achieve anything. They received life. It was given to them. One of the writers I read said, your identity is received, not achieved. And there's so much rest in just knowing that you're his. 
You've been born into his family. You're born again, and you're his. I mean, some of us grew up in church, and one of the ways we identify ourselves is by our religion. And eventually, you had to look down the road and see if I was more religious than that guy or that lady. So we're always comparing and can't really figure out who we are because we're wondering if they think we're less or, or we're trying to figure out how we're more. And, and that's just, it's just a terrible cycle, right? And then you meet somebody and, and then your identity kind of gets connected to your friends or your romance. It, it kind of grabs your identity and you kind of start placing your identity in somebody else. And then maybe you're successful on your job and you start connecting your identity to success and try to compare other people to your successes, right? There's just this list of things that we identify ourselves, but those of us that have been born again, we are connected to the living God. That is our identity. We can rest. I don't have to compete with you. That's why I could have humility because it's not some kind of a competition. He did all the work. My identity is in Jesus, so I can rest. Anybody this week forget that? I did. That's why we do this in remembrance of him weekly, because I need to be reminded. I need to do it over and over and over and remind him, because I, I, I don't know what happens to me at times. I forget to go to him, and I just start hustling. I lose my way. I get tired and stressed. He's offering me rest when I'm rebirthed. Man. I wish I could represent how good this is. For those of us that know it, remind yourselves. For those of you that don't, man, we want it for you so bad. We don't feel better. We're just thankful that he saved us. So Nicodemus, he gets, Jesus identifies who, that's everybody, anybody. He asks what, and Jesus gives him this crazy answer. And so I don't know how quickly Jesus, Nicodemus is putting it together. It seems like it's put together by the end of the book where Nicodemus comes to bury Jesus. But I love it that Nicodemus twice, in verse 9, he does it again. How? How is this possible? I guess maybe we would ask, how are we born again? That's where that verse 8 comes back into play. The wind blows wherever it wants. I don't know if any of y'all grew up with the King James. You ought to read that verse in the King James. You think you're confused now? Read it in the King James. The wind blows where it listeth, th -th -th -th, and like on and on. Wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from, where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born into the Spirit. So I guess the first answer is tell me how. I'm born again. What do I do? You read verse 8, nothing. You don't do anything. The Holy Spirit comes and he transforms you on his terms. And you read a little later in the passage, you get to verse 13, it reads like this. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Jesus speaking of himself. And then he goes back to an Old Testament passage he said, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So there, there, there we go. Like, the Spirit does all the work, and then we have this repentance and belief captured in a brief story from the Old Testament. Jesus actually refers back to this story in the Old Testament where the people of Israel have done what they always do, rebelled against God, fallen deep into sin and idolatry, and God brings some snakes to get their attention. Snakes start biting 
Israelite people, and they're dying left and right. So Moses begs God to give them uh, an answer or a solution to this problem so that they can repent. So he, he makes this pole, and he puts a bronze snake on it. You know where the hospitals have that little snake on a pole? That's where they get it from, this story. It's this pole with this bronze snake on it, and he tells the people, if you'll just look to the snake, you'll be healed. If you just look to, the, to this, this symbol, you'll be healed. Now, is it about this piece of metal that's stuck up in the ground? No, it's about their willingness to accept who the maker of the pole was. Moses had it made, but that God actually provided a way for them to repent. And so somebody, a lady laying over here who just been by, by, by a snake, I guarantee there was one. It's like, I ain't looking. I don't believe in that garbage. And she keeps looking away all the way to the death. And those that looked up at the snake, says this passage in the Old Testament, they were healed. They got up and walked away. They were made whole. They were given new life, if you will. So Jesus points them back to this passage, as, as puts Nicodemus back to this passage and, and proclaims this truth that you must repent to believe. What, what are we looking up at? We do it every Sunday, looking up at him hanging on the cross. There's a story told of uh, Charles Spurgeon. He's a famous preacher. You've probably never heard of him, but he's probably the most famous preacher that there's been in the last couple hundred years. Uh, he tells a story of how he first believed the moment when he was born again. He tells as a teenager of trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what Christianity about, was about, what church is about. So one Sunday morning by himself, by the way, we got high school kids get up and come here by themselves. You, you do nothing but make me happy. Ain't nothing like a high school student to come by himself. Spurgeon's out trying to figure stuff out. They say, I mean, if you read his biography, it's a super snowy day. And so he just goes to the closest church. Makes sense, especially back in the day when you walk or ride a horse. He goes to the closest church. It was a Methodist church. And as he tells the story, there's like three or four people there. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where there's three or four people. I have. When a dude stands up and preaches to three or four people, it's awkward, right? It's super awkward. As he tells the story, the, the preacher's not there, so just one of the dudes that was there decided to stand up and say something to everybody, and he opens up his Bible, and Spurgeon says it was great because the preachers always talk long, and he was, he's going to be quick, and he just read the passage and made one application. Spurgeon said that he read Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, King James. Look to me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And then he looked out at everybody, all three or four of them, and said, don't look to yourselves. God's saying, look to me. <laughs> and then he said, this, this man, I mean, who, who knows what it was during the week, what kind of job he had worked all week, and he was just at church, and perhaps this passage popped up out of his quiet time, and he's standing up sharing it with everybody. He says, hey, Jesus said this, right? He said, look, look, look at my blood. Look to me. Look at me bleeding right here. Look at me hanging on this cross. Look up to me. Look at me buried in the tomb. Look at me as I rose from the grave. Look to me. Look to me to be born again. Spurgeon says he preached just for a few minutes, and then he looked out, and he said, Young man, it's really easy to do when there's only four. I don't know which one of you it is this morning. When there's only four, he goes, Young man, you look miserable. 
How'd you like that? <laughs> and that's why you don't go to the church with four people, right? Because, man, they can see you clearly. <laughs> says, young man, you look miserable. The only way you're going to find happiness is to obey this text. Look to me. And I read this. Spurgeon said this. He said, oh, I looked. And I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. I don't even know exactly what that means. But what's clear is that he looked and he found Jesus, and he was so overwhelmed with who Jesus was and what Jesus done. It changed everything. He had to reorient all this other stuff in his life because the ultimate relationship was before him, and it transformed him, and he served us well, this guy named Charles Spurgeon. So how, man, today you could repent and believe. You can make this decision to repent of all the good that you've ever done even and the bad that you've done. For some of you, you got some bad that weighs so heavier, you think that there's no way God could meet me in the bad. He wouldn't have me. I'm, I'm, I just want to speak for God on this based on his word. That's a lie. There's nobody in this room that's qualified, not one. All that bad, he can meet you right in the bad. But let me go ahead and tell you, some others of y'all that, like, you're too good. You got all this good, you can't repent of the good. Like, you actually feel like you've earned something. You don't think it's fair that Nicodemus showed up and, and God said, all that good you've done don't count. You've got to be born again. It'll keep you from looking up at the cross and repenting and believing. So today's just a day of repentance. It's a day to say, I'm, I'm, I'll put all this in front of you, the good and the bad. Put it all before you. You're the answer. I want to be transformed by you, Jesus. I was saved as a kid. When you're a kid, you're like, what have you even done wrong? There's a little lady in Sunday school class in Aiken, South Carolina, and she was teaching about hell. I don't know if any of y'all been in them services, but she's thinking about hell, and it scared the hell out of me, right? Like, it, it uh, <laughs> I uh, got home, and my dad had taught me some verses by the way, parents, man, your kids are learning verses over there. Ain't nothing like that. It's embedded in them. It, it, it serves them. And that particular night, I'm laying in bed thinking about hell, not wanting to go there, which isn't always the best place to start, but it is an effective place. And I uh, got up out of my bed and went down and spoke to my dad. My dad came up and he very simply had me quote that verse, John 3:16. I only knew it in the King James. They had taught it to me, and I had to work through looking up. I had to decide, even as a child, to look to Jesus. You know how the verse goes? For God so loved the world. That's, that's the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient. We could go down the list, holy. You, you can add that to that God. He loved me and you, the world. Put your name in there if you want to. He loved John. Little John reads, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can you see him up there? Are you looking? That's what this is about. That's why we do it over and over. We want to keep looking at it. We want to keep looking at it. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, everybody, anybody, that whosoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What's everlasting life? 
Everlasting life is better than this big old TV we're looking at right now. I like you were born in the image of God, so you had a little ear out, and you could hear a little radio t- tunes out here. But then when you believe those of y'all are born again, we got to see it. You're like, look at that. I never knew. Like the lights, I can see. One day we're going to be with him, but it ain't going to be on the screen. We're going to be in there. Like, we're going to be able to grab the star of the show. We're going to be in there getting hugs from Jesus. It's going to pale. Like, what we got right now, what we're about to worship to, this big old screen that we know because we can see, we're going to be with him. And that's what everlasting life's all about, being with him, being in it with him. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I just don't show it all the time. I confess that now. We confess that now. We love you, many of us. We thank you so much for your sacrifice, for hanging on the cross to make it possible for us to have a relationship with you and call your dad our dad and have this peace and rest that, man, a lot of our friends don't have. Thank you. Lord, we warn our friends in the room that may know religion, not know you. We want them to believe. Explain it to them, Lord. Convince them of their need for you. Lord, we want to walk out of here. We want to be sent. We want to represent you. We want to look different. We want to act like born Again, folks that have a humility about us and yet a boldness, help us, Lord. Help us follow you today, tomorrow, the next six days. We want to come back and worship again. As we close, Lord, we we pray again for our brothers and sisters out there at Radio Centerville as they suffer some this morning, Lord. Pray for the shearers. We pray that you would meet them in their deep pain. We trust you, and we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.